But what I'm most excited about this morning is you may have seen these two smiling, beautiful faces on our uh, bulletin board over there. You may have been here a few months ago when uh, Luke and Jessica were able to share with us about the call that the Lord has put on their life. Uh, They are soon to be missionaries with REACH. They are now, but they're soon to be deployed. They're missionaries with the EFCA's REACH Global. God has called them to the city of Berlin, and we uh, are about to, they're kind of doing a two-step process. In early December, they're going to head to the East Coast. Uh, They're going to kind of wrap some things up stateside, and then around May, June, they're going to head overseas and begin uh, the Lord's call on their lives in the city of Berlin. So before they go, we wanted to take the opportunity to spend a little bit more time with them, and Luke is going to come and open up God's Word for us today. But they will be here after service. If you have more questions about their ministry in Germany, uh, we have both information up there, but take advantage of this time uh, to get to know them, to hear about the call that the Lord has put on their life, um, all of that. So with that, Luke, come on down, and I will pray for you. All right. Dear God, Lord, I thank you for my brother. I thank you that you have uh, introduced us to this lovely couple, God, that um, not only are we spiritual brothers and sisters in your family, God, but we are partners in the kingdom. And I pray that as he opens your word for us this morning, God, that you would anoint his lips, that we might be blessed as we hear from you through your word and through the servant of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Let's see. Let me get myself situated here. Good morning again. That wasn't very good. Good morning again. There we go. That worship needed to wake you up a little bit, right? Well, I am uh, I'm excited this morning to, to be able to share with you from God's Word. And uh, this morning, we are going to be in Psalms. Uh, we'll be in Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 84 this morning. And uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit. But um, I'm, I'm excited. I love this psalm. I love the book of Psalms. Um, there's so much diversity in the Psalms. Have you ever done one of those like read through where you're, you're doing a, a psalm every morning or something and, and one day there's this psalm of like lament and it's like crying out to God and there's so much emotion and anguish and, uh, and then the next psalm might be one of thanksgiving, right? Or maybe one of wisdom talking about right living uh, and instructions for life. Um, and then some psalms that we, that we read, and oftentimes we have in our, in our worship, um, are just psalms of praise. Just psalms looking to God, praising God, glorifying God for who he is. Uh, and uh, that's what we have this morning. We have a psalm, a psalm of praise, Psalm 84. Uh, and it's one you might be familiar with, uh, especially some key verses in there. Like verse 10, we sang this morning right, Uh, that we have um, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Um, And a lot of psalms are familiar, um, but as I I spent time with this psalm and sort of not just read it, but really meditated, right, meditated on it, you you learn so much more depth about the psalm. You see things you didn't see 
you see a piece of God that you didn't see before. And I think that's beautiful about Scripture. That's why we're called to meditate on it, not just to, to read it and move on, but to stop and to pause and to, to understand. And that's, uh, that's what we're going to do this morning with this psalm. It's, um, it's a good psalm. It's becoming one of my favorite psalms. And um, others, others as well. The great 19th century theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that it was the, the pearl of psalms. He said this about it. He said, this sacred ode is one of the choicest of the collection. It has a mild radiance about it, entitling it to be called the Pearl of Psalms. If the 23rd be the most popular, the 103rd the most joyful, the 119th the most deeply experimental, the 51st the most plaintive, this is one of the most sweet of the Psalms of Peace. With that, let's, um, let's take our Bibles, let's open it to Psalm 84, and we will read together. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, uh, grateful to spend time in your word, to spend time in this service worshiping you, singing to you. God, and I hope learning a little bit about you right now. Lord, that we can see these things in your word and take them to heart, that we can meditate on them as you've called us to. God, you are so good, you are so great, and we're excited to, to spend time with you this morning. God, we thank you and we praise you, and I ask that you are working here right now uh, amidst us today. We pray this thing, these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we begin our psalm, uh, we start not with verse 1, actually, but a little before that, right? We, uh, we always want to look at our author and context, and this says, to the choir master, saying it's a, a psalm that's meant to be sung as the, the congregation, according to the Gittith, uh, which is a term we don't really know much about, liturgical or musical or something, uh, and a psalm of the sons of Korah. And we'll see different authors in the psalms. 
Um, but the sons of Korah have written uh, a number of psalms, and uh, we'll see another one from them in a few minutes. But we don't know a lot about the time period, the exact context of the psalm. Um, but what we do know is the story. The psalm is following a pilgrim, right? And there's a pilgrim on this journey, this journey to Jerusalem, to the dwelling place of God. And we get to, as readers, follow along with this journey. Uh, and one thing that you'll see as we read this psalm uh, that I think is so amazing are these, these beautiful contrasts, right? Two things seemingly contradictory, but stuck by, side by side. And I think they showcase some of the, the depth and beauty of this psalm and, of course, of Christ. So let's begin. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely. We have the pilgrim, pilgrim longing for the dwelling place of God. And it's a really cool way to start the psalm because we, we, we learn that the, this is a, a, a good place, a place that the pilgrim is invited to, right? To the dwelling place. There's a, a relationship that we start off here with. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I leave my house every day, my dwelling place, I don't like prop my door open and put a sign that says, hey, anybody can kind of come on through, check it out while I'm gone. I'll be back in eight hours. Like, no, a dwelling place is somewhere that's, that's your own. You're invited into it. It means there's a relationship. There's an intimacy. There's something of closeness. How lovely is your dwelling place? And the word lovely, not just meaning like pretty, not aesthetic only, right? Not just nice paint on the front of the house and some, some new rose bushes, but lovely in the sense of beloved, right? Beloved. One commentator writes, the psalmist's response to the presence of God. He loves to be where God is, so the dwelling place of God is a beloved place, right? A place that you want to be. How lovely. And then I, I promise contrast. Here's our first one. O Lord of hosts. O Lord of hosts. Now, when you see Lord written in the Old Testament in all caps, it's usually the word Yahweh, right? And Yahweh is a, a powerful title for God, right? A powerful title. O Lord, O Yahweh of hosts, of hosts, of armies. Yahweh of armies. This is not a, a small and quiet title for God. This is, this is a powerful title for God. If I wouldn't, you know, hurt your eardrums, I feel like I need to, to yell it, right? This is Yahweh of armies. This is, this is God. This is the, the, think to your Old Testament. This is the powerful God that's, that's taking the nation of Israel and destroying all of these other nations and is, is so powerful and showcases his glory. You all spent... Time in Daniel, right? That's the God we're talking about here. This God that brings up nations and brings up kingdoms and kings and then can crush them back down again. A God that has all authority and powerful. Yahweh of armies. And yet is the one that welcomes you into his dwelling place. A dwelling place that's beloved a powerful God bringing you into this place. That's our first verse. 
That's how the, the theme of this psalm is set. The psalmist wants everyone to know that his God, right? His God is the biggest God around. He's powerful, but he's my God and my king. Let me give you, um, let me give you a little analogy as I was thinking about this. How do you showcase these two things? Um, so picture, if you will, close your eyes, do whatever you need to. Bring yourself all the way back to, say, elementary school, okay? You're on the playground, and you're hanging out with one of your friends, and, you know, things are getting a little competitive, and, you know, who's, who can do this faster, and who's better at this, and, and uh, you know, if you're a boy like me, it might be who can, uh, who can, who can take on who, right? Who can, who can really, like, if we were going to, you know, go at it, who's, who's going to come out the victor here? And you might be going back and forth, and, and it gets more competitive, and you get to the point where you have that inevitable saying, right? Well, well, um, well, my dad could beat up your dad, right? My dad could beat up your dad. Okay, how, how much water does this hold? It's not much, right? It's not like you're going to call your dads, and they're going to come to the playground and, like, duke it out together. Like, no, you're just, you're just saying things, right? But picture, if you will that you're saying this, and your dad happens to be um, like a lineman for the Seahawks, maybe six foot eight and 300 pounds of muscle. Suddenly, the my dad can beat up your dad has a little more weight to it, right? Because your dad probably could actually beat up everybody else's dad. And yet, your dad isn't scary to you. Well, he might be a little bit. I hope he's a little bit scary. I hope there's a healthy fear you have of your dad, your big, strong, powerful, kind of terrifying dad. And yet, it's your dad, right? It's your dad that loves you, and you love him, and you want to run home and just jump up into his arms and, and be comforted, because it's your, your dad. And this is the imagery we're getting presented here. It's this big, powerful God that can beat up everybody else's gods, and yet... You want to be in his presence. You just want to be there with your God, with your dad. That's our scene here. Verse 2 says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. See here, we have not just a want, but a longing. And a longing that's not just physical. Right? It's, it's not just physical, it's a deep longing in the soul. It says, my heart, my soul, they're crying out, my flesh, all of me is crying out, crying out for the living God. We can look to the familiar beginning of Psalm 42, not coincidentally, also written by the sons of Korah. But it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts. For God, for the living God. We have the imagery of a, of a deer, you know, in Israel somewhere in deserts and just longing for some water, life-giving water, to be in the presence of God. And not with anguish, right? Remember we said in the beginning, this isn't a psalm of lament, and this is a psalm of praise. It's joy. There's, like, there's excitement. There's joy to be in the presence of God. My heart and flesh sing for joy. To God, to God, to the living God, the living God. 
Have you seen this before? You read through scripture and there's, there's lots of little titles for God, but this one comes up, the living God. Why do you think it's not just God? The living God. Well, I would say it's, it's, there's two reasons. Two reasons that we see the, the living before God. And the first is, remember, the, the other nations around have gods that are not alive. They're, they're idols. They're made of stone and wood and, and gems and metals. And so there's a contrast between a God that's alive and a God that is dead. And yet, I think there's more. I think there's more. Because God is not just alive, right? God is the source of life. See the difference? God's not just alive. He is the giver of life. It says in the beginning that God breathed life into the world. God is the source of all life, and he is the source here of the psalmist's joy. The source. Psalm 36, 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. An enviable position to be near the life-giving God. Verse 3 Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. The sparrow, the swallow. What the writer here is probably referring to, as he talks about the the dwelling place, talking about the temple of God, um, is probably all the, the birds, the little birds that nest in and around the temple. Right? And you have these sparrows and these swallows. Do you guys know what sparrows, swallows? Big birds, huge, massive, powerful? No, little birds, right? The sparrow is a bird considered a bird of small significance. Right? A bird of small significance. And the swallow was often pictured as uh, restlessness. This picture of restlessness. So you have these two birds, this this sparrow and this swallow, the insignificant and the restless. And yet, the psalmist is, is envious because they say, says even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself near the presence of God, right? Near the dwelling place of God. And there's another contrast. Yahweh of armies and his dwelling place. And who is near to the dwelling place of God? Well, the, the small and the insignificant, and the restless, getting to live near the dwelling place of God. I think that's just beautiful. It's a comforting picture to us. It should be. I think often we read scripture and we see how great God is, and at least I know I can feel inadequate before God like that. A holy God, a perfect God, unworthy to be in the presence of God. And yet, Romans 5.8 doesn't say, okay, when you get your stuff together and you've got your act together and you're nice and, and cleaned up, then God will forgive you. And then you get to be in the presence of God. No, it says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, even the sparrow, even the swallow can come near to God. We continue, verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. 
the writer wraps up this whole section with just joy. Blessed, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now, before we go on and uh, we go to our next section, we should probably pause for a second and talk about a little bit of history here because we're, we're reading about the dwelling place of God, right? We're reading about this. What, what exactly is this? We know there's a pilgrim. We know they're on a journey to where? Well, here we're seeing a pilgrim on a journey to probably to Jerusalem, right? To actually visit the temple, the physical temple in Jerusalem, and uh, the temple, if you also remember your Old Testament, right, began as the tabernacle. And uh, there's all the instructions for it in the Pentateuch and how to build it and what to do with it. And, uh, but the people were nomadic. So they, they tear it down and they pick it up and they bring it with them and they reset it up the next place they go. Until you get to the time of David and Solomon, Right? And Solomon says, okay, I, I'm going to build a permanent temple. Now we're here, we're in Jerusalem, we're going we're gonna to make this permanent. And this temple was purpose-built for God as a dwelling place among his people. Right? As a dwelling place among his people. Uh, and it's a place where there's sacrifices offered and there's forgiveness of sins. And, and it's a place to come and to worship God. So Solomon says, I'm going to build this. And and I'm not just going to build some temple or some building. Solomon, remember the, the richest man maybe to have ever lived, he says, I'm going to build a temple you've never seen before. This is going to be like, think of the craziest thing you can think of, and it's going to be better. Nothing was spared, no expense. We're going to source material from all around the world. We're going to make this perfect and precise, and we're going to build this great temple worthy for God to dwell in. And yet, in the time of Solomon, he, he builds the temple, and, and as, he, uh, as he finishes it, he, he gives the speech to all of Israel. And here's what he says, Second Chronicles 6, 18 through 21. He says, But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. So what house can contain God? Isaiah 66 says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all of these things and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. So we, we see here no house, right? No house, no temple, no church can contain the presence of God. The dwelling place of God is not limited to a building. And yet, there's this beauty in that, as we see in Chronicles, God chose to dwell there. He's not limited to it. He doesn't need to. But God has chosen in the Old Testament to spend time with his people, to dwell among them. 
But what about the New Testament? Because we don't have the temple anymore, right? And if you've been lucky enough to, uh, to travel to Israel and you can see the temple there, that's not even Solomon's temple. That's a, another temple that was rebuilt and then destroyed. So if we can't travel to this physical temple, is this psalm applicable to us? We look to the New Testament, John 2, 19. Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Matthew 12, 6. Jesus says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here, namely himself. And then even in John chapter 4, we see Jesus meeting the, the woman at the well. You know that story, the woman at the well, and, and Jesus is asking her very uncomfortable questions about her life, and she tries to distract him, and she says, well, what about, uh, what about our worship? Because, uh, you know, we're supposed to worship on this mountain, and the Jews are supposed to worship in Jerusalem, so how does this work? And Jesus says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, God wanted to dwell among his people. But now through the person and the work of Christ, he can do it in a different way than the temple. And we long for the presence of God. We're longing not just for a physical place, Right, but for the person of Jesus. Let's continue here, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. All right, so we're still in this journey, right? We're still following the pilgrim, and now he's in a desert. Not surprising, since this journey is going through probably Israel and areas of it. But he passes through a valley, or they pass through this valley called the Valley of Baca, which is translated as the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping. And it's not a pleasant place to be. And so you'd think, as they go through the valley, well, it's dark and it's heavy, so I guess it's going to affect them. You might think they're going to become weeping and tearful. But no, the text says, and they make it a place of springs. They make it a place of springs. So they're, they're transforming this dry valley around them. A dry and dusty desert becoming a place of springs. If, you, if you've ever been to a desert, you know that's quite a feat. I, um, I love being in the desert. Uh, my wife and I like to, to go on vacation when we can to take road trips out to, you know, the middle of nowhere, as long as it's very empty and very hot. And uh, maybe it's trying to get away from the, the wetness here. But um, we love to be out there and to see the stars and just be in the, in the deserts. And we tried to take a trip this summer, actually, um, to go to Utah and, uh, and do some kind of a stargazing tour and and um, right before we left, we're looking up, and there's kind of rain and storms, and we're like, oh, man, there's no visibility. So we had to sort of redirect last minute. We're like, okay, well, we have this time marked out. What do we do with it? 
So we said, well, we've always wanted to go to California and do some stuff. So we said, we'll go to California. We'll go all the way down. We'll drive down to Death Valley. Sounds fun, I guess. And, uh, but you get clear stars and you get the desert. And, and uh, so we, we start doing this. And we're about three quarters of the way through Oregon. And um, we both felt like our, our last minute plan changes just weren't a good idea. It's like, I don't know. We just, I don't think we should go all the way down there. Like, yeah, but we have this time. Well, I don't know. And kind of went back and forth. And, and uh, we decided just to sort of cut our trip in half. And um, it was still really nice. We got to see the, some of the California coast and kind of come back up and, and uh, you know, missed our desert experience a little bit. But um, a few days later, after we got back, I was looking at the news and I see this headline, you know, like floods in Death Valley. I'm like, oh, it's interesting. What's that? Come to find out that Death Valley had some of the most severe flooding that it's ever had. You can go look up pictures and things. They, they, had a, they called it a once-in-a-thousand-year event. They got 80% of their annual rainfall in three hours. And it just filled up the valley. So you have like these, you know, dust bowls that became lakes and roadways that became lakes and parking lots full of cars. It became lakes. There were over a thousand people stranded in Death Valley. And uh, we were looking up the timing of our trip and we realized we would have been right in Death Valley as all of that was taking place. It's just kind of a crazy thing. Like, we didn't know that. You know, we didn't plan this. And God in his, in his mercy kind of redirected us away. Right, and God often does that. When you're following him, he'll, he'll direct your path away from, from a trial or other things. Uh, but, but not always, right? Not always. Sometimes God lets you walk through the trial. And he lets you go down there. And he, and he, he lets you go through the valley of Baca. But even in the valley, do you see that they're not affected by it? They're affecting it. Right? Even in the valley, they transform the valley. That's what's so amazing. The pilgrims go through this valley of weeping and dryness, and they actually transform it. Well, how can they do that? How can they, how can they transform a place of dryness and weeping to one of joy? And we find it's because of the power of God. See, it says they're, they're not going from strength to weakness, but from what? From strength to strength. Strength to strength. Well, how can you do that? You have to get a source of strength from somewhere else. And that's what we see. Their love of God, the joy they find in God as the source is so strong that it's not only affecting them, but affecting everyone around them. Isn't that the kind of Christian that we're supposed to be? Not just keeping things ourselves, but so powerful is our love and joy that we have in God that we actually affect those around us. We transform something like a dry valley into one that's full of life. Sometimes things that seem hard or difficult or a trial, and they may be, can have a result that was only possible through the trial. There's, uh, there's something really cool in different deserts, and I saw this in researching some of the flooding of Death Valley. Um, it's, uh, it's called a super bloom. A super bloom. 
And um, basically what happens is there's so much water that the desert normally doesn't get that it sinks all the way down and it allows things to grow and to live that normally wouldn't live. And so I have a, an illustration here. This, the first picture, if you go back to the first picture, is this picture of this dry desert, right? It's cracked and there's salt and there's nothing. And then when the water comes, it becomes this lake, right? And that right there was, was not a lake. That was a dry desert that got filled up with rain. This picture in particular, there was so much rain, it created a 10-mile long lake in Death Valley, and then when all that seeps in, then you get to that, that last picture, and it can create what's called a super bloom. All these flowers coming up from the desert that there normally would not be flowers in. And I think it's just a, a beautiful picture of how we can see life from something that had no life through an event that didn't seem like a, like a good thing. It seemed like a flood, and it's, we don't know about it, but bringing something so good I think it's worth saying, too, that through these trials, God isn't absent, but he's present. If you go and read Psalm 139, you'll see that there's nowhere you can go to escape God, to be away from God. God is always there. He's always with you. He's always present. He's always faithful. Well, we continue with the, uh, the pilgrim's journey. Verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So we get to this last section, and um, we see in here uh, our, our familiar verse. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I think here the writer is, is just trying to get us to think about the value. What do you value in your life? What is your levels of importance? How much, how much do you love God? How much do you desire God to be, to be present with God to the point where you're willing to give up something precious? Like here, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You see the order of importance? It's so good to be in the presence of God. I'll take one day. I'll take one day. And then a doorkeeper, a doorkeeper in the house of my God. And um, this is probably referring to not just a, there were positions that were actually sort of doorkeepers that were set out in the Levitical priesthood and all of this, but, but this text is probably referring to somebody who, who's coming to the temple um, for a variety of reasons, maybe coming to offer sacrifices, um, coming to, to, to bring something to the temple, maybe even um, a, a beggar or someone destitute that sits outside of the temple gates. All right, you see that in the New Testament when Jesus is talking to these different people who are sitting outside the temple? And remember, this is not a nice closed and covered building, right? This is a, it's outside and it's hot and it's the Middle East and, and it's exposed and it's harsh. And yet, 
says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather be near the presence of God, even if it's a lowly position, or even if I'm exposed to elements or out in the hot sun or all of this, than, than be in this really nice, comfortable house. And, you know, we think tents, but to them, the tents, that's your home, right? That's comfort, that's security, that's all of these things. He said, I would rather be uncomfortable to be near the presence of God than to be nice and comfortable over here in the tents of the wicked. He tells us how much he wants to be in the presence of God, but the pilgrim also explains why. He explains why. We already learned that God is the source of joy. And what else? Verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Bring yourself back again. We have to keep putting ourselves in this context. Thousands of years ago, the sun. Important? Not important? Paramount, the most important. Other cultures made the sun gods, and the Egyptians did it, and you see the Greeks do it. And right, the sun is everything. The sun gives life. The sun allows you to grow crops. The sun is daylight. Right? We take that for granted now. We just flip a switch at night, right? But the sun was how they could work, how they could live. The sun is everything. He says the Lord God is a sun. He's the source. He's the source of all of our, our, our everything, our livelihood, our light, everything we can see, everything we can do. And a shield. Why is a shield important? Once again, culture, right? This is a place where, you know, nations can just invade and raiders can come. And to have protection, to have a shield, to have a defense, right? that's so important. Saying God is the source of everything and he protects it. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I love the the way that God just gives so freely. He bestows favor and honor. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. Like, I guess you were pretty, okay, I'll give you some honor and I'll give you a little bit of favor, I guess. no, God is, God is desiring us to walk uprightly so he can bless us with these things. God wants us to do it. He's excited. There's, there's this joy that's it's, it's back and forth. It's not only joy we find in God. God is, God is joy. No good thing does he withhold. I should clarify. No good thing does he withhold. It doesn't mean, you know, he gives me everything I want. Because I don't know about you, but if I got everything I wanted, it probably wouldn't be good for me. Usually we don't desire the things that are good for us. It doesn't say, okay, pray to God, he'll give you whatever you want. No, it says no good thing does he withhold. God gives you what you need, what is good for you. Even if it's something that's difficult, God is giving things for our benefit, for our good. And he does this freely. He does this freely. God gives us all that we need. He will provide for us. He'll be our source, our sun, our shield. 
And he has proved this over and over again. Even as we see in the New Testament, you say, well, what, what is God? I don't, I don't see him doing this for me. What is he, how, how, is he, how is he giving me these things? Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. See, God's already done this for us. He's given freely. Right? He's, he's seen our sin and our desire to follow him and given us a way of salvation. Right? In the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Sending his son to earth to die on a cross to pay a penalty for this so that we can dwell in the presence of God. I think like many things in the Bible, this psalm, you can look at it in two ways of, of the focus, right, on this longing for the perfect presence of God, right? We know that there's something more than this life. We know there's perfection. We know that we'll be in heaven with God, but it's not just about a place. It's about the presence of God. It's about being with God, present with God, right? That's perfection. The Bible calls this the fullness of joy that we'll have one day with God, when we're in perfect, right relationship again, away from a world of sin. But even still, even still in our present life, where we don't have that yet, there's still joy to be had, true joy, not fake joy or partial, true joy that comes from God, from the source of joy, that gives us life and joy to the point where, like we read, we can transform things around us. It allows us to turn dry valleys into running springs. It allows us to complete our pilgrimage. That may be hard, that may be challenging, but with joy and with strength not found in ourselves, but from God. Hebrews says, it allows us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Right? That's walking uprightly. Instead of focusing on what we're at, focusing on Christ and allowing Christ to be that signpost that we're going towards as God gives us a source to be able to complete this journey. As we think about this psalm, as we conclude today, I would ask you that. Think about some of these questions. Are you looking to God as the source of your life, your strength? Or are you looking elsewhere? Are you going from strength to strength? Or is it getting harder and harder? Going from strength to weakness because our source isn't in God. Do you know the, the comfort, amazing comfort, uh, that being a child of God brings? Second Corinthians speaks about that. It says, God, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. We have a comforting God. Do you know that this comforting God is also big and powerful? Remember, he's the Yahweh of armies. He can do whatever. God of all comfort. The joy to be found in him. 
true joy, right? A joy that nothing else can satisfy so completely. You know that when we come to Jesus, we don't have to have it all together. Even while we're still sinners, we can come to Christ to ask for forgiveness. God wants the lowly, the insignificant, the restless to be with him. As we leave today, I hope you, uh, you take time to think about this psalm. It's such a good psalm, and it's one psalm in a whole book full of incredible things, writings, that we see and understand more about our great God. I would encourage you to, uh, to do that, to spend time this week. You know, it's good to have something like a, a verse of the day or things like that, but we can, we can treat them so casually. I would encourage you to take time to take a psalm or take the text for, for next week um, or whatever it might be and just, just stop for a moment and dwell on it and think about it. Understand it fully. You'll see how, how much more depth there is with that. Posture yourself as one who longs for God. I love this psalm. I think it's such a beautiful passage and so applicable to us. Anywhere we are in life. The story of this pilgrim. I have to ask myself, if I, if I was writing, would I, would I really write this way? Would I have so much love and desire for God that I would write this psalm? Well, as we think about these things, I, uh, I hope you have a little better of an insight into Psalm 84. And uh, as we heard earlier, um, this, this beautiful psalm, uh, a pearl of psalms, the most sweet of the psalms of peace. With that, uh, I'll invite the worship team back up and um, I'll pray for us as we conclude. Gracious God and Father, Lord who is over all, who is powerful and mighty and majestic, who can destroy nations and bring down kings and armies and, and, and bring them back up again and a God who can do anything, Yet a God who wants us to run to him and to love him and to be in his presence. Lord, how good your presence is. God, I pray that we long for that today, that we understand your goodness, your greatness. That we have a desire, Lord, for the joy that you, that you have. God, I just ask that we are not trying to find our source of strength from anything in the world, even good things, even the things of, uh, that, you, that you've given us, but that we see a reflection of you in them. God, we look directly to you as our source. Lord, we're thankful for this, and we're grateful for a time to spend in your word. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.